Welcome to Snakes and Otters, a pointless discussion of eternal questions. Get ready, we're about to live in your head rent-free. Welcome back to Snakes and Otters. This is episode 129. I am Martin. And I'm Robert. And I'm Francis. Sitting in the captain's chair again. Uh, and a quite comfy chair it is. Indeed it is comfy. That's right, it's very good there. Uh, we're... Uh, Sitting here in the atrium at Studio R, uh, which our man Robert has decided to totally redo the way things are laid out. All it's all comfy chairs. Monty Python will be proud. Uh, no more car table. No, no more car table chairs. No, no, no. Are, uh, that's right. We're recording in comfort. No, no asses on the on the iron uh, folding chairs. We're we are smooth. Now, to be fair, the folding chairs all were padded. Oh, they were. Okay, they were, that's they good. They were padded, but they were still folding chairs. They were still folding and chairs. then again, all three of us have big enough asses that it is. It still it is. gave us kind of the whiff of uh, parish bingo and oh yes, yes, <laughs> things that's like right. that. Exactly. So this is much better. Yeah, yes. indeed. Well, is. I had to up the game. You know, as I said in the last episode, you guys had uh, yeah, we done did that. It. Well, you know, I I did it because you know because Martin did it first. He's the one that started this. We figured, okay, this can be done. Let's start thinking outside the box. And you know, it's amazing. You know, once one pioneer starts the roll ball rolling, you know, who all decides, let's go west, boys. So, anyway, interesting aphorism there. But how do you want to kind of slid that in through there? Talk about the, talk about the American West, but we're really going to talk about the American. That's his quotation line. I am not an American. I am the American. That's Mark Twain, Samuel Langhorne Clemens. It's one of his... Oodles and oodles and oodles of famous quotations. My God, we were thinking when we put this together. Of course we have to do a code of honor with just Twain quotes. What did you say his quote was? I am not an American. Oh. I am the American. Oh, yeah. okay, good, good. For a second, I thought it was, you were referring to this. Go ahead. Never mind. All right. Skip a bit, brother. Skip a bit, brother. That's right. No, uh, my God. All you have to do, Mark Twain quotes in your Google, and you get a bozillion of them. They are everywhere. And for rightfully so, this man was the greatest humorist of his day, the original stand-up comedian. He did lecture circuits early, actually, in his lifetime, uh, back when he was still just a journalist, right after he'd written his first two books. Uh, he's on the lecture circuit. He hated it because it's tiring. And after he got into his debts uh, problems uh, later on in life, that's the only way to get out of it is to do a world tour, a world lecture tour, which, you know, that was, we'll get into a lot of that next episode when we talk about yeah. the man. But suffice to say, it's not just his books that bring those great quotations out. They are that. But they're also all this stuff that he could just prognosticate, just pop off, and people would write it down. You know, and I found the, the interesting thing, and we'll talk about this more in our hero episode next week, but he's not, quote, educated. No. He, he basically drops out of school. That's right. But it... Which is not is, uncommon for his the day. day. Right. That's right. But, yeah. you know, of course, it doesn't happen anymore, but there's, throughout history, there are these people who were quote, self-educated. Lincoln was a contemporary who right. was the same, yeah. And they, they just, they want to learn, and they just do it for themselves. That's right. And they don't need someone to teach them. They just shoot themselves into a library somewhere and stay there for a huge amount of their And lives. they become these great towering, towering intellects. In, in fact, you could make the argument that if there could only be two primo great Americans. Lincoln and Twain could be would be strong candidates for that. Right. I mean, we've talked American authors, and we've already done Hemingway as a hero, but without Twain, there's no Faulkner, there's no Hemingway, there's none of the great well, That's correct. And Pete, He's and the really right there with Cooper and 
uh, Hawthorne as you know the great American literary figure, and he overshadows all of them. The Absolutely, even, even Hemingway, he does. Uh, yeah. Hemingway is more modern. We we're, we have adopted Hemingway's style and. And, and methodology because that's worked so well. Twain was unique. He didn't. You couldn't. You don't replicate him. Nobody else writes like him. Twain is almost a a, a universal cultural icon. That's right. And Hemingway is not. Right. Yeah. Hemingway is, is this great author, but Twain is bigger than that. Yes. He's more than just the author that he was. His personality was huge. Well, yes. He's a a figure, a character unto himself. Correct. And we'll get into that next episode because that was deliberate on his part. Right. Mark Twain and Samuel Clemens are really Jekyll and Hyde, and they're not meant to be the same. In fact, <laughs> uh, uh, his family often commented, you know, I, I love Sam- Samuel Clemens, but I don't like Mark Twain at all. His daughter wrote that many times because he was an ass. He was always seeking the spotlight. Anyway, we'll get into well, that we, later. Yeah, we want, to, we want to hit the quotes this time. That's right, because there are so many. My God. Here's where we're going to shine, boys, assuming that we do, and I'm sure that we will. In to try and take all the mountains of quotations from the great Mark Twain and pick just three. Not wow. each. Just yeah, just, just three. Just, just three. <laughs> each of us gets one as usual, and we and I've got mine already set out. I had figured this out uh, <clears throat> a few days ago. Uh, I rewatched, and I'll just give a quick plug for the Ken Burns. Mark Twain documentary from 2002. You know we're we're big Kinsburns fans around here. We love watching his stuff. He did a he did a four hour uh, two part version of, on Mark Twain, which I recently rewatched this past week. As a matter of fact, so Burns has done now Twain and and Hemingway. Hemingway. That's correct. That's that's it. Yeah, I'm gonna have to watch these. I, yeah, I know, dude. I gotta stop watching Bob's Burgers and and that's correct. Some yeah, find Burns. some Ken Burns. That's right because it's it, in, in his in, in both cases. You know Hemingway is very recent for us, but Twain was twenty years ago, and it lays everything out about both the man and his writings and yeah. so many of those great quotes and all that stuff. So if you really want to know Twain, because even in two episodes we're never gonna capture him. We're not even getting close. Watch the Ken Burns documentary. You will learn Twain. You will learn his greatness, and you'll hear you know a million of those great quotes. And that's even just the beginning, folks. But we're gonna do three. And for some strange reason, I haven't figured out why Martin wants to go first. Yes, Captain, permission to come aboard first. Granted, sir. So uh, the thing about Twain quotes is they have seeped into the American psyche so deeply. We quote him all the time without even realizing. Like Shakespeare. Yes. He's yes. the American Shakespeare. Very much so, yes. And and so when I started to research these to really find one that really was appealing, I was startled by things that we say or things that we kind of feel all the time that either are attributed to Twain or misattributed to Twain. I mean, he's so big, people misattribute all the time to him. You know, the whole... Uh, a lie gets around the world before the truth can put on its pants or yeah. put on its shoes, whatever, however you phrase it. That's if Twain didn't say that, he probably should have. Well, yeah, that's, that's kind of gets that point. Uh, yeah. And then things like, uh, reader, suppose you were an idiot, and suppose you were a member of Congress. But I repeat myself. Yeah. I mean that making fun of Congress is yeah, you know, that sort of ingrainedness that's from Twain. You know. Well, yeah, the the reports of my death have been greatly exaggerated. You know that's Twain. That's you know, Twain and, also. and see, we say that all the time, right? Well, you know, and we one play of my favorite with it. quotes about history may not repeat, but it does rhyme. That's, that's Twain. Twain. That's yeah. right. You know, this guy here, the towering intellect, 
doesn't even begin to cover it. Right, and as you mentioned, again, the not just writings, but these constant lecture circuit things. And That's right. Trip That's around the world. Why he's easily quotable because he's, so, he's done that. Um, but the quote that I came across that jumped off the page to me, or jumped off my screen, I guess. <laughs> That's right. It's a web one, page. Is one that I'm doing in honor of Francis. Really? Ooh, no yes. wonder you wanted to go first. Thank yes. you, sir. I say. Okay. Otter writes, as, as we have mentioned, Francis here has been hard at work at his first novel. Yes. That's, and yeah. I've I, I picked this one because I want him to know that I believe in him. Well, grateful. I never okay. doubted. Of course. Because it's easy to dismiss. I mean, people go... Oh yeah, my friend the novelist. You know, I mean, even like Billy Joel makes fun of that in Piano Man. Right. Paul, the real estate novelist. novelist. Yeah. You know, because everybody's quoting a novelist. But sorry, it's like everybody in L.A. is writing a script. Yes, yeah. everybody's got a screenplay in development. But my Twain quote uh, to let Francis know I really do believe in him: Keep away from people who try to belittle your ambitions. Small people always do that. But the really great make you feel that you too can become great. I saw that from and from Twain's mouth. That's that's high praise. It is. I immediately thought that's the brotherhood. Yeah, yeah that's that's it. the brotherhood. That's, that's right. That's what we do. We always uplift each other. Uh, and you're right. Small minds, small people, the jealous ones. And it's, I think that's an Eleanor Roosevelt of you know small people talk about other people, great people talk about ideas. And, right. Yeah. You know, so that's a that's mangling hers, but you know this Ooh, one is. Twain did come first, yeah. Yeah. So. so this is keep away from people who try to belittle your ambitions. So I'm in, I'm in all of your ambitions, and I think you're getting it done and carrying it away. And Otterites, I think it's not too far away. You're going to be reading Francis's novel. Well, I appreciate that. And, and in fairness, uh, both these guys have read. Uh, uh, a later draft, you I mean just recently, you know, yes, you're talking we, about, we about just the, gave him his manuscripts back, which is like eight or ninth draft. So we're, you know, we're getting close to the point where you know we'll be we'll be ready. You we'll need all. a real editor now. Yeah. I mean, you need somebody who's, who's, but I think there's a market for what you've got. Yeah, and um, a thriller. That's what we're uh, writing. You know, we want you to know we believe in you. Absolutely. And and, and, and you, your help is going to be great. And we you're hope so. Be great. I, I will. Uh, I will always. Uh, I'll bring you guys along with me. Uh, as my passe, because you know, we need we need a passe. Everybody's decent. Well, when you sell it to Netflix, yeah. we want to be listed as executive producers. Well, that's right. I, I was going right. I don't even probably get that. Create a consultant, maybe. Oh no, you know. no, no. I think yeah, no. maybe so. It's all in the contract. Everything's negotiable. Well, everything's negotiable. Well, hey, it's right. Hey, you know, I, hey, I mean, the best case scenario is that you'd have two bidders. Oh well, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like Netflix and Apple TV, both trying to. Trying to get this as a property. Uh, aren't, aren't you guys amazing? That's right. And, I'm, I'm and grateful. Say, well, Never mind the series of major motion pictures. You know the the first. This is true. The first one that puts my homeboys as executive producers and cuts them in for a slice. That's who gets the deal. <laughs> you know. So Isn't that wonderful? If Hulu's willing to do it, then Hulu gets the property. Yeah, that's right. I mean, well, but I, I, I think, now, to be fair, if Hulu seriously underbids the total dollar value. And leaves us out. <laughs> I mean, but puts us in. I yeah. I, okay. Okay. Yeah. I mean, yes. Francis has to look out for himself first. Exactly. Well, because he can give us our cut out of his cut. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, 
away. And I'm sure there'll be a few steak dinners yeah. bought over that one. I hopefully, yeah. You guys are just so amazing with your. Um, here's your the thing, show. though. We've got to be careful. We can't let him fall into. Well, I've got to take a meeting with Netflix. <laughs> you know, if I if I start hearing him talk like that, I'm like, hey, we're gonna knock you down a peg. Well, that's right. I, I can assure you, I will not be wearing a beret. And I will not be calling anybody sport. <laughs> those things I can assure you of. That's going to happen. I'm stealing from Shatner on that, but you know, it's pretty cool. Yeah. Oh, awesome. Yeah, awesome. That's right. Because that, I, I mean, that's okay. You can call it sport, but you know. Well, when, when just be, don't don't yeah. don't do that. Well, I got to take a meeting. No. Where, I'm, yeah, where the hell are you going to take it to? Saying, yeah, that's right. Yeah, when and I remember, take a meeting, that's when I'm going to the John to take a dump. <laughs> Well, you Remember, know, LA's three hours behind us. So. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. So if you really want to get to them, tell me you want to take a meeting at 8 a.m. your time. Yeah. yeah. It's like, Make hey, it get I, on. I've got responsibil- other responsibilities to start at 9. You only get 8 o'clock. <laughs> oh, God, you guys are so wonderful. Make, yeah. make the LA folks get up at 5 a.m. if they want to talk to you. Yeah. You know, uh, one of the great things, that is a great quote because uh, it's true. I mean, that really is... Uh, yeah, people that want to criticize you are the ones that that probably can't do it themselves. Right, because they know, can't they can't stand somebody succeed. Twain didn't write a book about writing, but you could go through all of his quotes, and you could put together a book on his writing advice. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that would be a wonderful project for somebody, uh, whether it be a Snakes and Otters project or somebody else. But uh, you know, he's got a lot of great words of wisdom, and I think that's one of the best for yeah. a creative person. Surround yourself with people who believe in you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's well, true for everything. That, that's, a, that's a business acumen right there. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's that's, leadership. That's, that's, it's, absolutely. It's, I mean, it's, why would you be around somebody as, quote, a friend who's pulling you down all the time? Well, that's exactly right. Well, you know, that's Grant, too, by the way. I mean, that's one of the reasons, you know, he surrounds himself with guys like Sherman who believe in him. Yeah. You know, he, I stood by Sherman when he was crazy, and he now he stands by him, or... Well, that was Sherman. Sherman. I I, I stood by Grant when he was drunk, and he stood by me when I was crazy, and now we stand together always. Thank you. I wanted to get that exactly right, and I knew you could pull that one out. That's That's pretty close. That's the same thing. That's exactly what I'm talking about. That's the essence of brotherhood. Amen, brother. Sister? Simply? So that's why that quote jumped off the the screen to me and why it believes in me, because it's so timely for what we're doing right here. And, you know... We believe in you, man. You're going well, to be the it. real thing, and no. you're going to have some decisions to make in your future, I think. So. Oh, well. I, I, I just want to do the craft well. I just want to do it right. I want to do it well. Yeah. I want to tell the good story. That's, yeah, you're telling a great story. It just, you know, you've got the uncut diamond. It needs a little polish. Uh, you but know. you got this pacing and this interest, uh, a fascinating story. Um, Page turner, I'm hoping. Page turner, I thought it was. I thought oh, it yes. was. He's fin- he's finished the draft. Now Robert hasn't. He's no, been I'm, I'm I've been. Martin, I think has read more for the overall eye. Yes. Uh, and and what have you? Uh, I am too, but I'm I'm being very deliberate in a lot craft of the, side. A lot of the granular yes. stuff. Yeah, you're laying yes. that down as you as you catch it. I, both I, have value. I'm with an eye more towards the general reader. What's not going to quite work? That's right. Where. Yeah. Robert's really focusing more on the on the real craft part the of it. Style and the verbiage yeah. and all that stuff like yes. that. Which yeah. you know, it's amazing. You can be a good writer and still have a lot of blind spots. Oh, absolutely. Oh, and that's yeah. what I. If I'm, you don't I'm, have blind spots, you're not a writer. Well, that's, that's <laughs> because it, you're not you're not working on it enough. Yeah, that's I mean, right. it, yeah, just when you fix one hole in the in the in the bathtub, you know, another one pops out. Yeah, you know, 
uh, we talked about in show prep, uh, uh, well, really, before the show prep, we were going over your book mm-hmm. uh, before we even started show prep. Uh, you, uh, I think it was one. I guess it was you who talked about Mercedes Lackey said, you know, you're not a writer until after the first million words. That's right. Yeah, and she's she's very, you know, deliberate on that. People t- people go to her all the time on Quora and say, you know, what I got to be a writer. So she's answered it so many times. She's got to post back to her original, but basically a million words. A million words. Yeah. That, that's it's when like, you start to get good. Yeah, because you've learned it. It's like Stephen King says, writers write. Mm-hmm. That's right. And that's the only reason you should be doing what you're doing. And that's true. I, you write because you have a story that you have to get out. And you want to do it well. That's, I, I think that's Bob what writes Francis is on the verge. Mm-hmm. He's already sort of got two full-time jobs, mm-hmm. plus snakes and otters. I don't think he can do a third full-time job as a novelist. He's got some some decisions in his future. Well, so far, so far, so good. But, you know, this one's, this one's underway. This one's completed. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, I, I actually raised a glass of bourbon to myself at the time because you guys weren't around. When I completed the first draft, because... That's a big deal. You hear a lot of people that, you know, so many times the folks that on the internet, it's they want to have written, but they don't want to write. Because it's yes. laborious, detailed, uh, it's a birthing process, and it's all the labor pains that go with that, that that don't go away. They're with you for months and years mm-hmm. thereon, especially when you first start out, because, you know, a first-time novelist like myself, you cannot crank this out mm-hmm. in a year. You know, now, well, especially if you're not able to work at it full time. Well, that's right, exactly. So you try to do that. Yeah. It took me eight months to get the draft down from the time I started the actual draft, but there were probably seven or eight months before that of conceptual work. Right. right. Uh, and here we are. Well, yours is very historically grounded. You have to do a lot of research. That is correct. Yes, yeah, because it does take place in a specific place, specific time, under specific events. So yeah, you got to get that right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And you know. This is one, I think I said this uh, in an email to you recently about how I marvel at your ability to get to turn these edits around. You said it was a function of you know having the time. And that's part of it, but part of that is also uh, the the willingness well, to right. do it's, the work. You you do well. Everybody has the time if you are willing to do it. <laughs> if you have the will to do it, you, yeah. it's finding the time is not hard. It, I mean, it is, well, but it it's we all have the time, the same amount of time as anybody else. That's right. It's what we are willing to give up that is unimportant. That's correct. To and make this important. And when you squirrel away every moment of free time that you can possibly squirrel away, because wherever you're at, you have access to the same document. Thank you, Dropbox. Right. I'm always working on you know the same revisions all the time, so that's all seamless. I can be in line at the post office, and I'm editing through. Yes. It's hard to do that to, when you get the first draft down. Creating it, you have to have initial time. But once you're editing, for me, it's easy. Well, I don't know, it's not easy. It's long, laborious work. But it is. People but, say the first draft is the hardest yeah. until you get to the second draft. That's right. Because the revising is very difficult because, not because you don't want to change anything, but because the first draft wears you out so much. That's right. That's right. It really does. Well, for, for, for the amateur, and I, I'm still I am, I suppose, um, there is that you don't want to change anything. Type thing. Yeah, there's some of that. Yes, I was. I walked in knowing I will not be that person. I had to make the deliberate thing. You know, I will kill my darlings, as Stephen King would say. There's nothing that I can write that can't be and shouldn't be cut if we make the determination it should be. You know, what? we've had that. We've had that conversation. And you know what I think has helped that because I, I agree with you that I, I, I am that way. With so it holds writing. a lot of first-time writers back. 
And we have the, the advantage there because for now nine years for myself, 13 years for you, mm -hmm. we regularly write. That is correct. <laughs> and we and write present. at least once a month, if That's not right. more. Uh -huh. uh, for a while, I was doing it for four years, almost four years, I was doing it twice a month. Right. And you learn very quickly that when you, because you know, we write out this long, big, this big thing, and then you realize, I don't need to put all this stuff in there but I hate to lose this, this one paragraph. It is the perfect expression of this idea. If I delete it, it will be gone forever. Well, once none of that is true. Once delete happens, you go, oh, never mind. Didn't need it anyway. Didn't need it anyway, that's right. Because early on, you learn to look at that, and it's like, oh, this is so good, you know? And you know, there's that temptation to either leave it in or to be even stupider and copy it to a saved document. Forget it, you'll never and use it. You never use it. I never did that, but you know, you think that all There's a lot of folks say who do, they say that, yeah, that's right. And I I think that has really helped in my own writing mm -hmm. is that I'm already willing to cut things down. Absolutely. Write it long, cut it back. It's, I, I learned that early, and that's how, you, that's how you do it. Well, yes. my first draft was 124,000 words. My current draft is 102, right about where it needs to be. That's just the way you do it. You don't know what you need until you've written it all out. And then you're like, oh, well, this is taken care of later. Cut. Well, yeah, Mark Twain it. said, you know, writing is easy. You just cross out all the, uh, the wrong words. That's right. He's the oh, man. Yeah. That's right. It's like, yeah. What, whenever, whenever, so what, is it, what was the other one? Whenever you're tempted to use very, insert damn instead. Your editor will delete it, and the writing will be as it should anyways. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> In other words, don't use the adverbs. Well, that's right. I mean, they, this is... Adverbs know, suck. They do. That's right. Uh, Greatly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We, we can get into the craft of all this. And, you know, there's been a lot more written on it. Uh, Hemingway is fantastic as a, as a muse. Uh, Stephen King is like the god. And uh, John D. McDonald, by the way, was Stephen... I recently read this. Was Stephen King's mentor, uh, his model, when he started oh, writing. Excellent. Uh, excellent. Who wrote the yes. Travis McGee series, which I'm a big, big fan of. Yes. Uh, so, and he was the master of that first line. Uh, that hooks yes. you in. Yes, King is excellent at that. And that's, he learned it from McDonald. Yes. McDonald, if you read any of the Travis McGee books, that first line, those first sentences are two sentences, they're very brief, nails it where you cannot put this book down. That's, yep. McDonald was like the king yeah. of that, no pun intended, and King has brought okay. that forward. So this is really not an episode about writing. No, although so, it is Twain and you're going to get a little Yeah, mad. I mean, Otterites, I hope you get a chance, I believe, I believe you will get a chance to read Francis' novel and it He's smashing together Jeff Shara and Bernard Cornwell and Mark Twain and Brad Thor and lots of other stuff. Well, uh, and, and Robert Ludlum, Diana Gabaldon, and... Um, without the, time travel. No time travel. No, no, no that's for <laughs> uh, But certain themes that are... But it's, it's, it's a historical... Thriller, thriller. Thriller. Or, thriller. That's right. That's Which is a thing. really pretty unique thing. Yeah. If you had to pin it down to one genre, it's thriller. It's just got historical. That's elements. the overall, you know, because there's actually subgenres. Very much so, yeah. And genres that appear because there's aspects. That's know? right. You, yeah. You're going to have some of that sort of stuff. Yeah. So yeah, uh, when we get further into the reality of it, we'll talk more about yes. the details. Oh, you know what? When he's published, we'll have to do a two-part code of honor and our heroes. All oh, on Francis. <laughs> You're killing me, boys. You're killing me. That's right. It doesn't only be like five or six minutes long. Though. That's okay. That's, That's all right. right. Oh, oh, we fill in the rest oh, of it with bullshit anyways. Oh, <laughs> oh, 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 oh. 
Bring some bourbon and we'll move with that. Skip a bit, brother. Skip a bit. Skip a bit. Francis, yes. go ahead. With Back to Mark Twain. Twain. Back to Mark Twain. Okay, yeah. This one came out to me pretty early. Like I said, I just watched the uh, the the, uh, the the Ken Burns version of it. It was it was fantastic, but. To distill it down, if you wanted to go kind of back to where is that one moment? What is Twain's masterpiece? It's The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn. It is an amazing commentary on race in the United States, the American character, and it is a transformative experience for the reader, which is Twain's intention, and the main character, Huckleberry Finn. That's the point of this journey. Is the is the literal. The literal journey brings about a conversion of heart in in Huckleberry Finn's character, and that's he become, he goes from somebody who doesn't question these divisions of race that he's been taught since a small child, and his time he spends on the river with the escaped slave Jim shows him the humanity of him. And there's a moment, and Twain scholars can tell you exactly the quotation that I'm going to give you in a second, where. He makes the decision, I will no longer subscribe to these conventions of the subhumanity of the black race that I've been taught since I was a child, since I was born, because he's still a, is a young boy. And that's when he makes the decision. And that's that linchpin moment in the book where he says, no, Jim is a person. And that's, of course, meant to be the journey of the reader as well. Yeah. In a subversive time, this is a post-Civil War book takes place before the Civil War, but it's written in the 1870s. And it was all while the entire nation was trying to say, well, they may be freed, but we don't consider them human. He's saying, yes, you do. If you just pay attention, you'll do the same thing Huck Finn does. And the moment he makes that decision is he's journeyed along, he's questioned whether God would allow human slavery. Isn't it in the Bible? Well, the Bible says you should do this. You'll go to hell if you don't do this you don't obey the Bible. There's a whole Protestant ethos around that's built around this. Huck is very uneducated, but he knows he's heard enough to have kind of absorbed this conditioning from the society through the religious uh, institutions as well as their political institutions that the black person is subhuman and slavery is the God-given right of a white man. That's what he has been built with. And his time spent with Jim on the river, he's questioning, says, that can't be right, that can't be right, that can't be right. Well, maybe he's not that. Jim has a family. He misses his children. He misses his wife. He's going to buy their freedom. And, and he reaches this moment where he says, well, you know, they said I was going to hell if I don't do this. And the quotation is, all right, then, I'm going to go to hell. I'm going to hell. That's the quotation. All right, I'm just going to go to hell. And that's when he decides, I'm willing to do that because I know that all these things I've been conditioned to believe are wrong. And that's the ignorance of the character deliberate in Twain's mind. He says, I'm willing to doubt this terrible penalty you have built into my brain in order to continue to keep your power. I see it for the sham that it is. All right, I'll go to hell. He is human and I will give my eternal soul rather than go against that. That's the moment where the whole model changes. And he's had the conversion. And that's the power of Twain. That's the moment. Super cool. Super yeah, cool. He said, I'm you going know, to go to hell. We discussed a little bit in uh, pre-show here that Huck Finn, Tom Sawyer, these novels are 
not really is very reluctant to teach them in the modern educational system. Especially Huck Finn. Especially Huck Finn because of the language that is used. Because the N-word is everywhere. Yeah. Uh, and But that's the racist world that Huck came from. It and, makes no and, sense right, if you don't your, lay that out. Right. Your point being... Or his conversion means nothing. How else do you teach the lesson? That's right. Because that's, that's what the book is. It is a lesson of conversion to realizing that all so that it's, racism... it's a real shame yeah, that it is. these are not taught anymore. You're right. Because that uh, people can't get past the language and realize this is a lesson that Twain taught the nation and right. the world. Right. It's objectionable language, okay, but there's a reason that it's objectionable language. You're coming... Twain pulls that out, showing yeah. that's a form of dehumanization all along, and Huck Finn realizes that at some point when his moment happens. And that's why if you can stomach that beginning and not be afraid of it, you will come to a new understanding, and that's why it's his masterpiece. Yeah. Never been, be afraid of words. That's correct. Right. Uh, it's been many, it's been decades actually since I've read it. I've read it as a, probably a teenager. High school it, freshman. Well, I see, we it's, and that's a, it, Tom Sawyer's a great book for young boys in particular. And I read children. that first. That's, mainly because. That's designed for that, yeah. I read it for, well, I read it first. So my aunt, uh, the one used to, that I used to stay with down here. Yeah. Uh, she had a collected works. It was about, you know, four inches thick. Yeah. And in it, of course, was Tom Sawyer and Huck Finn. Tom Sawyer was first. Right. So that was the one I read first. Glad I did. Yeah. Because it's better to read that not knowing who Huck Finn is. Right, because it, <laughs> Huck Finn is... It, Tom Sawyer was written first. The character Huck Finn is a major point in there. It was actually... actually modeled on one of Twain's boyhood friends, but... Yes, because Tom Sawyer is very autobiographical. Very much so. And it's, it's well, a, in a way, so is Huck Finn. It because, is, but it has... Well, because more. he had that same kind of journey. You know, Not that he had that experience, but, right. you know, the traveling down the river on a raft was not, uh, you know, not an unknown thing to him. Right, yeah, he, he took that which he knew, but, and we can get into this a lot next time, Twain himself understood instinctively the evils of racism for a very young age and he took that understanding and saw those around him that didn't think that way and he thinks well why in the world don't you and from there comes Huck Finn taking a character he'd already put in established people that people understood because Tom right. Sawyer was a big, pretty big seller and he took him and said let's talk about race yeah. in a way that shows the world the conversion they need to have and that they can have and that all they've been told with regards to race up to this point has been a lie. Right. And that's why it's so subversive. It was kind of a companion it was, to... It was banned when it was first published, not because of the language, but because of that, at yeah, the time, I subversive mean, it, it, attitude it is, towards it, the racist. It's just as subversive as Uncle Tom's Cabin. Oh, yeah. Things like this. But Very this is, much. It's post-Civil War. Yeah, it's post that, and, it, and it's, it's... You're right. I mean, subversive, and that's what... Twain wanted it to be. Absolutely. He considered himself a revolutionary, basically. Very much so, yeah, because he was fighting something that uh, now we recognize has been the good fight all along, but it was, you know, it was opposed virulently by mostly those, to use Martin's, one of the Martin's famous terms, vile racists. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, Martin was going, it was making a point, though, that these are reluctant to be taught. Now, like I said, I had this book that uh, I was able to read both of them over summer, you know, couldn't have been, as you said, Martin, somewhere around that, that 14, yeah, 15 it's be, year. Yeah, freshman high school um, type. Just because yeah, of right. when I would have read it. It wasn't read as part of school. And, you know, at the time, I remember, of course, uh, you know, even then, when 
people didn't make as big a, I mean, they made a big deal, but it's not nearly the deal that it's made about that N-word now. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's a very uncomfortable thing to, to have read even back then. And, you know, I was thinking about this before you guys came over. Yeah. It would be a shame if it were edited to something else, uh, like African Jim or Black Jim, because it wouldn't have the same impact. It, yeah, and it, it shows the, the, the power of the groupthink that had been yeah. conditioned. But I think, honestly, it's more likely to just be thrown on the ash, ash heap. Uh, as yeah, I mean, they're just... They're just the historical footnote Try to be subtly forgotten. Yeah. And it's, it's a shame it's because a shame. it's a lesson. It really is. For those of us in... It's good writing, never mind. It's very much so. That's, yeah. you know, again, it it is a, a, it's raised it was a gazillion seller. Yeah, it is a classic... It is, it's part of the... It's part of the set of works that establishes American literature as distinct from British It's literature. been called the great American novel. Yeah. And that's high praise because there are many other contenders for that. Sure. I mean, but, sure, there's, I mean, there's Moby Dick and there's but, Fenimore Cooper and, the, you know, so so there are American novelists before Twain. And after. You know, but but I mean, it really puts the stake in the ground. It's, if you had to pick one where this is this a distinctive voice, American voice. And it's Twain. But it yeah. was also a powerful statement on things that needed to be said that were uniquely American but not exclusively American and wow that's right if folks readers readers listeners you should be reading you should read Huckleberry Finn you really, really should. should it's public domain you that's know, right it's, it's available you get a copy on your phone easily and find a free copy and if you have to you know go to the library I didn't, know, I didn't look I assume you can still get a copy of it yeah. on Amazon oh yeah it's still, yeah, it's still uh, available yeah it's, it's considered probably the greatest American novel ever written. Otterites consider that a strong recommendation from Snakes and Otters. And, and, Grab yourself some Mark Twain. And, Huckleberry, and, Finn. And re- and Huckleberry Finn and read it with the eyes that we've tried to lay out for you today. Realize this is not just an adventure story. This is a powerful commentary that we need right. to hear even because today. It, you know, the context is important. Very you much so. You cannot change the language without ruining the context. And if you ruin the context, you ruin the... Me- not ruin, but you lessen... Because yes, if I remember correctly, the message substantially. Again, you were talking probably forty years since I've read the book, but it still resonates. And you know, I remember uh, that by the end of the novel, he's just Jim. That's right. He's no longer mm, Jim. Right. He's just Jim. And that's at that moment when he decides, "I'll go to hell for this guy." Right. That's uh, he because he is a guy. He's a person. He has a family. Man. He's all those. He's human. And that's, he always was, but Huck didn't see it until then. And that's took the journey for that to happen anyway. Speaking of journey, we've got to get one more quote in. But before we do that. But yes. before we do that. Let's do our bourbon break before we hand this off to Robert. Hand the baton for him to hand. I'm mixing my metaphors here. You are. <laughs> I'm handing I can hammer with a baton. It's not the right for, tool. But for him to hammer in, he's going to hammer a round baton into a square hole. Um, so there was like a third metaphor brought in and mangled. (laughs) And you think you can't write. (laughs) Yeah, well, I can mangle metaphors with the best of them. Nice alliteration there. That works. You're getting there. That's a very Twainsian quote. It is. Very much so. So I have poured uh, a nice two fingers of uh, Four Roses Small Batch. Uh, A big favorite. And I am having it neat. That's what I thought. It looks like it's neat from here. Yes, it is neat. I did not... uh, uh, do ice in this one to get uh, kind of the, the full kick and uh, this is good stuff at this price point 
I'm not sure why you would buy anything else. As right. much as I like Larceny or some of these others that are at a similar price point, if you if you just did four rows of small batch, was it around about twenty eight? Yeah, it's between twenty five and thirty, depending on whether or not it's on sale. And yeah, I you mean, know, there, there's several other good, really good favorites. Uh, I like Elijah Craig at the same price point yes. or a little lower. Well, even that seventeen ninety two small batch is a similar price. That's point. what I'm drinking. As and fact, yeah. you know, those you start talking about small batch, you're talking about you know craft bourbons, and to find one at that price point is un, is, yeah. is a little bit unusual I mean, to begin with. But to find one of any quality, uh, similar quality at that price point, is even more unusual. Four Roses is an excellent value. Yeah, so I'm getting a... Again, these are things that I have forgotten these terms, but if you get the kind of the feel of it around your face, that's mm-hmm. called the Kentucky Kiss, but if you get the, the warmth more in the esophagus, that's called the Kentucky Hug. And I'm getting a good Kentucky hug from this. It's right down here in the old esophagus, really nice and warm as it goes down. Um, really excellent nose on the Four Roses. Again, at, at this price point, it's hard to do. Uh, if you catch Woodford on sale, the regular Woodford, that might be a touch superior. Um, well, Basil Hayden's kind of one of my favorites, and Robert's too on that. That's kind of like the go-to. But that would be the next step up, though, the mid-30s. Oh, you're, yeah, you're, oh, you're talking low 20s. This would be yeah. about 25 to 28. Yeah, so I that, think we paid 26 for that when we bought it. Yeah. And that so, was on sale. Right. Uh, Larceny, you usually get a 24, so it's a little under that price. But if you're, you know, I like Elijah Craig, which would be probably at a similar price point. Um, if you want to stick at this price point, Four Roses is really hard to beat unless you're finding, I think, Woodford, regular Woodford Reserve on sale at 28 or 29 That I don't think I've ever seen regular Woodford that low. Kroger. Really? That's what I, yeah, I paid 20, I think it was 28 Because that's a significant discount. Because yeah. I want to say its list is, what, is it? In the 30s. At least. At least, yeah. Because yeah. I want to say it's at least a $39 list, if not higher, uh, generally speaking. Yeah. Uh, and, of course, it's hard to tell because not everybody prices things the same. But, uh, but yeah, but that's... It's, it's a, this is really good stuff. It really is. That, that I, Four Roses is a phenomenal bourbon. It really is. Mm. And, the, and the small batch is even better because the uh, the regular bottle uh, is right around a you know, $20 bottle. Yeah. And that's an incredible right. value as well. So any any four roses is good. What so what did you pour? Seventeen ninety two, neat. Uh, oh. It's yeah. I, I, you guys know I've been doing the neat thing for quite some time now. Every once in a while I'll throw an ice cube in it, but uh, I'm discovering you don't need that chill. It's uh, it it gives that uh, there's a warmth that comes with a good bourbon that you know. Let's not run away from it. You know, we don't need it. Doesn't need to be chilled. Let it be. Uh, and I, it, the smooth, the Kentucky hug is wonderful on this. I mean, and I'll, I, I'm, I can't say enough good things about yes. it. Yes. Now, it's different than the Arkansas kiss which and, and hug, which is with your sister. Yes. <laughs> I was wondering if we were going to somehow humorize that term. Well done, Robert. Very well good. Done, Robert. Uh, and, Robert, what did you say you poured? So, I uh, have returned to the uh, Knob Creek Nine Year, which, uh, again... Uh, I just happen to have uh, a little bit higher end range of bourbons. Oh, I have a few mixes here. Mm-hmm. Uh, not mixing, but a few that are above or below. Uh, just have that uh, 
middle range of really, really solid bourbons uh, in the house right now. And this nine-year Knob Creek, uh, it's really good. It's smooth. Uh, it's more of that Kentucky Kiss. Uh, we yeah, talked about it last you week. You get a little bit of warmth here, it's but in, then yeah. that, that good warmth down in your esophagus. Yeah, that initial, I mean, you really kind of get a kiss and a hug out of this one. Yeah. Uh, it's primarily, though, on the tongue is where you first feel that. Uh, you know, as we've noted many, many different episodes, this sometimes one, you get a nasal. Yes, this one does not come up in the sinuses, which can kind of be... Yeah, I'm not real fond of yeah, that, you that particular get that, thing. get that good warmth down in your diaphragm. Yeah. That's where it belongs. So, yeah, this is, this is really good. The flavor is... Uh, it's, And that's the thing, you know, Francis was talking about he had a hard time describing the flavor yeah. last time. Still, yeah, uh, which is it. fine. That's, uh, you know, because we've all found it difficult to put these things into words, uh, but I think we're getting better. And the flavor is really good. It stands out. Some bourbons, uh, and I'd probably associate this more with, with a, a whiskey, even though technically bourbon is a whiskey. We all know bourbon is a class unto itself. Indeed. Uh, the flavors don't always come through. And this really does, and that's mm-hmm. one. Of, it's as does the Four Roses in seventeen ninety two. Yeah, I think it's a, there's at least for this one, I, there's some caramel to it. Mm-hmm. It's really good. So you get sort of this almost like a almost a milk chocolate caramel sort of flavor to this. Really good, kind of. Yeah, the um, the Knob Creek, you get a little bit of a. Uh, that smokiness uh, mm-hmm. yeah. after you kind of get the sweet and then the smoky. Oh, that's good. Yeah, which that's is really good. You know, you get that, that sweetness really. on the tongue, and I think once it starts going down the throat is where that smokiness comes because the smokiness is more associated with uh, the the burn. You know, that uh, 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 harshness, for lack of a better word, uh, the the sharpness. Uh, at least to me, mm-hmm. that that's how I associate it, and. Both are very smooth. The sweetness is smooth, and it's a very smooth transition, too. Interesting. 1792 does not have any sweetness. Not that I can detect. Hmm. I may try that for the next episode. Try it and see if maybe see. I am just awful in my taste buds, which goes back to this meta-narrative you we've been talking about. You should get some sweet, because that's what the storage does to it. Well, I'm... You're supposed to be pulling in Then I am truly getting to the point the where I'm almost beyond help, folks. We Catholics don't believe in the impossibility sure. of redemption. Nevertheless... Uh, I need to do something about this more you know, and more. Maybe you should think about giving up. Uh, you know, God as Martin so profusely praised me uh, unnecessarily at the last <laughs> episode, uh, but which I am grateful for. Uh, you know, giving up the soft drinks wasn't all that difficult as I thought it would be. I mean, granted, I did replace it with the coffee, but well, you know, the sunsweet tea, even though such an idea does sound like an abomination, it might be the way to go for me. So maybe I should try. I, I have grown to really love the flavor of good tea. Without sugar in it. Gee, you sound like Lieutenant Worf. <laughs> Good tea. Good prune juice. That's right. <laughs> Chill, of course. Good tea. A warrior's drink. Comfortable, that's a, comfortable chair. Yes. That's so, uh, that's, uh, I wouldn't say enough of the bourbon, because, you know, it's bourbon. Right. But I mean, there must... are people who do whole shows just on bourbon, and we're just doing little snippets of bourbon wrapped around or wrapped inside of, like, you know, the chewy caramel center of, of a great nugget that we've got going on here with a real episode. That's right. All right, so there are so many to choose from. No, yeah, oh, my gosh, so yes. many. And you have not let the cat out at all as no. to what you're doing. Uh, because so I did not decide. This we did, the first that's time. right, Otterites. We really did not really share any of what we were doing yeah. this As time. we rarely do. 
Uh, well, at least for me. Anyways. Sometimes we try to make sure we're not completely. Yeah, it's kind of depends. Yeah. Well, I mean, we don't but, want to pick the same one. Now, that that's never happened, thank God. Yeah. But we could that's, have whenever we got a theme, especially with the theme ones. Yeah, with the theme ones, that's more yeah. likely. So yeah. we did not prep this at all. But you know, Robert, the onus is on him. If one of us picked the one he was working on, he'd have had to switch, and that's just kind of what. Right. That's so the disadvantage. Of being as I like to do, let's let's recap. Uh, Martin, yours was. Uh, let me get it right here. Keep away from people who try to belittle your ambitions. Small people always do that, but they're really great, make you feel that you too can become great. And that was all in honor of Francis and That's his, right. his uh, exploits. Right. And as we said, you know, the essence of brotherhood is, is building up one another. Yes, That's right. We believe exactly in your right. ambitions. That's right. Right. Again, and I'm very grateful. Mine was right from the masterpiece. The, the linchpin of the masterpiece, Huckleberry Finn, when Huck decides that Jim is truly a human being and always has been, he says he's willing to lose his eternal soul rather than change that that he's learned. And he says, all right, then, I will go to hell. Right. Okay. Which is a recognition of humanity of Jim. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's, that's and the of the lies thing. he's been told. Yes. All right. So uh, I almost chose one, which I will share after the fact, because you guys will love it. It's one we could do a show on. Of in and of itself. Cool. That's cool. Twain. Um, but this one's a little bit longer. Uh, I don't have a source for what it is from, just that it is a Mark Twain. Unconsciously, we all have a standard by which we measure other men. And if we examine closely, we find that this standard is a very simple one. It is this. We admire them. We envy them. For great qualities we ourselves lack. Hero worship consists in just that. Our heroes are men who do things which we recognize with regret and sometimes with a secret shame that we cannot do. We find not much in ourselves to admire. We are always privately wanting to be like somebody else. If everybody was satisfied with himself, there would be no heroes. I love that. I love that. Wow. Because, I mean, yeah. every third episode is heroes. Is a, is a hero. That's right. A hero. And that's why we do them. Because we're aspiring to be as that person. That's right. And it is also a recognition I think uh, the, he's talking about his hero envy, but you know I like the the first part about uh, you know the standard by which we measure all other men, and I think that standard, when it's a positive, is where he's going with it, is that we admire them and we envy them for the great qualities that we ourselves lack, and I think yeah. that is a recognition in a different way of what. Martin's quote is about the brotherhood. Mm -hmm. You know, about we admire the fact that you have done this. You know, you are much farther along with your novel than I am with mine. Uh, I've got some nonfiction work that I have gotten past that first draft stage and I'm still polishing. But, uh, you know, I consider the bigger work to be the novel. Mm -hmm. You're far ahead of me on that. And that is an, an admirable thing. That is, I think that is phenomenal because from all... Outward appearances. None of us would ever be tagged for. He's gonna be a writer, because from what we do, right? You know, I'm I'm in tech and IT, uh, as is Martin. Uh, you are in a very what we call a very soft skilled mm -hmm. uh, yeah. profession, and uh, none of them really lend towards the the creative writing uh, aspect. Not that they can't be or that, that and what have you. But I do a fair amount of it actually, but that's not well, an obvious thing. It, that's right. You, creative writing in the sense, you know, fiction. 
Yeah. Oh yeah, no, no, no. I don't mean that at yeah. all. Yeah, it's 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 uh, you know you, you, you can write, write or you can be creative, but right. that doesn't. I mean, nonfiction is is an act of creation. Well, exactly. Yeah, that's the sort of um, stuff I do. But this whole idea that uh, that is admirable uh, is a great thing, and that's also what what Hawk recognizes when he says, "All right, I'll go to hell for that idea," mm-hmm. because he recognizes not just that Jim is human. He's actually an admirable man. Exactly. We didn't. I didn't say that, but you're exactly right. He is more than just human. He's somebody that's a wonderful person. Yes. A good person. Somebody who is a great family man who's willing to risk everything to work for freedom for her, not just himself, but his wife and his children. Exactly. So, you know, it, to me, this, this really, I've said this before, because I, I somehow, I really do manage to find these quotes that, in, in, their, in its own way, sum up what you guys have said you know this was a hard task for him I was wondering if he was going to pull it off not that I ever doubted well you know I just happened to come across this quote you know whether it's luck it's skill or the Holy Spirit whatever you want to put it <laughs> uh, you know because I try not to take the credit too much for uh, acts of uh, for of greatness uh, not that I come across those too often personally but uh, I tend to be more self-deprecating than, than I don't like to Claim huge amounts of credit. That's well, that's not to be said for real humility. Well, that's correct. So, well, part of that is you know dealing with my own uh, imposter syndrome. You know, because you never think you're good enough. Right. Yeah. We all yeah. have. We all suffer from that. Uh, actually, men suffer from it more than women. That's yeah. a common misconception. But men suffer from it statistically more than women. Interesting. Yes. Yeah. Women tend to believe in themselves when they. When they t- undertake something, well, yeah, that's why they're they the do. superior, superior. But sex, when you look at all the that. research, or even if you, you you look at materials to help you figure out how to deal with it, it's all geared towards women. Uh, but then when you dig a little bit deeper, it's more of the academic stuff on it. You realize this this is actually more of a man thing. Yeah. I mean, it's it's it it's not like it's ninety percent men, ten percent women, but it skews slightly more to the men than it does the women. Yeah. You know, sixty forty, whatever. There's no percentage, but I mean, it's that kind of thing. So. But I, I love this idea that, you know, we look at other men, and this is the ideal, and you know, I'm, we're all about that, mm-hmm. is the ideal we shoot for, is that we measure them by what they do that is good and admirable, which is what Hawk has done. Yeah, that's right. Uh-huh. And it's what we do when we want to build each other up. That's right. And as you say, you know, we talk about, this would be a great quote to put on, now granted, the second half of it probably you wouldn't, wouldn't want to do the whole thing. But you know, this really does work for our Heroes episode because we see things in others that we admire because we want to have those things ourselves. That's right. Whether it's to, to, to do the writing, as, to take it as far as you have and as far or farther, uh, to, to be as good of a family man as Jim, you know, these sorts of things. Mm-hmm. These are all things that are objectively good. And those are always things to be admired. I'd like to think that when we bring up our heroes, uh, that they are objectively good things that we talk about. Sometimes it's subjective too. But well, some you know, are complicated occasionally. Yeah, some yes. are complicated. But you know, sometimes it's subjective. Uh, whether it's subjectively good or objective, is just personal preference. Uh, you know, you might recognize something as, as well. Yeah, that's yeah. okay. That's good. But, it, that's, but it's really good. That's, that's the key part of the hero's episode. Is why? Well, why is this person a hero? To you, personalize this. Right. Yeah, of course, this is a Titanic figure in history or a Titanic figure in literature. But why for you? Right. And, and 
the second half of this where he says that uh, sometimes with a secret shame that we cannot do, uh, we find not much in ourselves to admire, always we are privately wanting to be like somebody else. That can go both ways. That can go both as uh, viewed negatively or positively. Because recognizing that you lack something in yourself while recognizing that somebody else has it, I think should, even though I recognize it doesn't always, spur you to believe that you too can have or be or do that. Or become that. Yeah, that's what the be is. Yeah, well, yeah. Um, um, it's interesting you say that because I just finished reading, almost finished reading J. Michael Straczynski's biography, and that's what he entitles oh. it, Becoming Superman. Excellent. And that's the, his journey of becoming this great writer and uh, a whole lot of other things that will go with it. Uh, I won't spoil it for you, but write, read the book, folks. Buy the book. I mean, this is this is an amazing journey. Of how of, of the, a, a, a ton of crap that he's overcome to become, in my opinion, in our opinion, one of the greatest uh, television writers ever, or for, comic book writers, and comic book writers, all of the above, writer, R- exactly, writer, and we we love the great ones in the craft. Yes, and writing is one of those crafts that we are gravitate towards. Uh, yes, uh, and and you know the whole thing at the end, if everybody was satisfied with himself, uh, you because know, we are either attain those ideals that we see in others or we are comfortable because we all have good things about us there are very few people that are so hopeless that we can't find something good about them or their character now there are true scuzzballs that that would be very difficult I, I agree mm-hmm. uh, but maybe you know you might well they've got a lot of drive you know <laughs> they may be scuzzballs but they get up early and they work at being a scuzzball yeah, yeah. their mama loved them <laughs> but the, well you might, you might sometimes know, sometimes <laughs> maybe the mama loved them when they were little that's right but there would be no heroes. I don't think that's the only part about that quote I disagree with. The, in this context, about having good traits that we admire, maybe we wouldn't call them heroes, and maybe it would be self-congratulatory to go around slapping each other on the back for us all having these great common uh, traits. But it's hard to imagine a world without heroes. Because I think there's always something better to aspire to. Read completely. Oh, that's really good. Hard to imagine a world without heroes. What would be the point? Uh, to to illustrate, uh, not to digress even more, but I'm uh, rereading because of the Foundation series on Apple TV. Yeah, uh, has inspired me to go back and reread Asimov. Oh, really? The the original trilogy. Well, I was going to start with that, and I thought, you know, it's a it's a much larger universe. Right. I'm going to go back and start with the robot novels where right. they start. Uh-huh. Now he did not intentionally be, build it this way, yeah, but he tied them together. But later, he tied yeah. well, no, not later because they were always uh, sort of, kind of, because there were similar themes and what have you. A lot of you know, a lot of these things, but he, eventually they became acknowledged as yes, this is the same universe. And so I started with the robot novels, uh, and then uh, on the last one, and then we get into the Empire novels, which will then lead to the Foundation novels. And it's just, uh, it's inspired me to go back and read these to see where that progression has gone. And one of the interesting things in the robot novels is there are these spacer worlds. And the spacer worlds are the first 50 worlds that were colonized by Earth or by other worlds uh, that Earth had colonized. And there very quickly became a distinction. Spacer worlds dominated Earth, even though they had a smaller population. They lived to be as much as 400 years old because they had 
uh, done genetic modifications, what have you. They had no disease. They were actually deathly afraid of humans because humans were still disease-ridden. They came to consider humans on Earth subhuman, not really human anymore. But the interesting thing about their worlds was that because they still had robots, mm -hmm. because Earth did not, or at least they had very few, they were so coddled and taken care of by their robots that there were no more heroes. Because nobody actually risked anything. Nobody achieved anything. <laughs> nobody did anything yeah. that was extraordinary because why need? there was no need for risk. Robots would, in fact, prevent you from taking risks because you could not allow harm to come to human beings. Even emotional harm. Even emotional harm. That is a core component of many of the conflicts uh, that they have to deal with, is even emotional harm cannot be allowed. And so those societies, based on they eventually died. Ah. Because there was no impetus to grow. Stagnation means extinction. Yes. If you're not living, you're dying. Yeah. Get busy living or get busy dying. That's, that's right. right. And that's what a world is without heroes. It's a world that is dying. Very well done, sir. Whether it's the guy among us who's written a novel or the, the family man you just realized is, is admirable and, and, and a human being, yeah. even though you didn't think he was, yeah. those are heroes. Yeah, and they are what make life worthwhile. Mm -hmm. Something to aspire to. To strive to seek to find and not to yield, as Tennyson would say. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. It's another quotation. And, and that's why stuff like that holds up, too. I yeah. mean, yes. Tennyson especially would be somebody super remote, but there's that wonderful nugget. That's right. That is right on his, you know, right on Francis's uh, fingertips here, right, yeah. right at the edge of his well, mind. It's, it's, it, well, Straczynski's the one that brought that, too, because it figures into Babylon 5, and I got Babylon yeah. 5. Got yes. that one, so... so. Which is being rebooted, yay. Yeah, that's right. Hey, it's Straczynski's in charge. That's all I needed to hear. <laughs> all right. So, Francis, oh. uh, this will be quick. What's next, buddy? Well, uh, part two in many respects. We're gonna, <laughs> we've are gonna. we talked a lot about the greatness of Twain and uh, his quotations. We're going to talk about the man because he is a hero, flawed though he is. And, and uh, Carl Sandburg called Lincoln the sad figure laughing. That's I think that applies better to Twain. And we're going to talk a lot about his his story, why he was what he was, because in many respects, if there could only be one great American novelist, you'd have to pick Twain. We'll talk about that next time. Hope you enjoyed another pointless discussion of eternal questions. Remember, new episodes publish every Friday at noon Eastern. Spread the word. We're on all the major podcast platforms, and leave us a comment or review because that helps others find us. We're on Instagram, Twitter, as well as our website, snakesandotters.com. I'm Martin. And I'm Robert. And I'm Francis. Join us next week, same snake time, same otter channel.